episode of Fire and Water Records, a proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Daly, and I am thrilled to bring you, by popular demand, another installment of Soundtrack Selections. This is the series where my guest and I share some of our favorite songs that either debuted on movie soundtracks or were used very memorably or effectively in film. There's no real hard and fast rule other than the songs we pick are attached to some movie, and we're going to talk about the songs, how they were used, and how they affected us, and why we chose them. My guest for Soundtrack Selections Volume 2, you know him as one of the Fire and Water All-Stars. You hear his shows every Tuesday, be it Give Me That Star Trek, Ohatmu or Not, Zero Hour Strikes, or something else. Please welcome Siskoid to the show. What's up, man? When you said by popular demand, I thought you were going to say, like, by popular demand, Siskoid, <laughs> uh, but the, the only one demanding it was myself. <laughs> As soon as your last episode, the first episode dropped, I immediately asked you to be on on the next one or on, on a future one, and here I am. You beat my next guest by a, a matter of minutes because tomorrow oh. I'm recording section three or volume three. Okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, seriously, no, no joke. You, you asked to be on the show like a couple of seconds after the first episode dropped, and I was happy because I like talking to you. Um, but I was also soundtracks are my thing. Yeah. <laughs> I was a bit weary wondering what kind of selection you would bring because from what I have seen, like looking at your blog, listening to your shows, it looks like you see everything. And your tastes in movies, I think, tend to be pretty varied. You, you're you not locked into one genre or type of film, am I correct? You're correct, and I think the same goes for music. Uh, when I Back when I was working for um, in radio, I worked for the People's Radio, the the French CBC, and my one talent, if you will, uh, was musical discovery. That was my thing, where I'd go into the the, the huge discotheque and pull out random albums and find music. Of course, that was all French-language music, but I was assigned to one of our rare uh, national shows that we got here uh, you know, in New Brunswick, we we don't really run the national bits, but uh, every little every bureau sort of has their uh, national show or used to. And our national show was youth oriented and played alternative music in the late 90s, early 2000s, which is when I started there. And uh, really not the usual music that the, the French CBC plays, which is, um, let's say, things for your for your grandma. It was basically <laughs> the, the musical style. But I had to learn all of that because I also programmed shows that were for your grandma. But I've always been very eclectic and I do not, I'm not snobbish about genres, uh, either musical or filmic. I like everything. Uh, I, well, I like the best of everything, let's say. I have high standards, but I, I will not poo-poo a film or a, or a musical style uh, just because of what genre they're in, you see. So 
it's it's a great marriage when we're talking about soundtracks because I used to do a lot of musical discovery that way where you know the records were just available to me but today a lot of my musical discovery comes through film and you know you, you hear a good soundtrack you hear a good tune in a, in a movie and suddenly you're on YouTube and you're li- you know you're listening to a bunch of different stuff from that artist from artists that are suggested because you listen to that artist and you discover a lot of new things that way you know, something that I've actually noticed is just I've been I've been thinking about this since kind of coming up with this idea, and especially when a bunch of other people after the first episode were like, "Oh, I want to do this," and they start kind of throwing ideas at me. I've noticed that it's not just in film, but just within the last, honestly, probably like a decade, really, popular music's use in television has increased, especially as television has gotten away from just the basic sitcom or hour-long drama format. When they go, television sort of writing and production has gotten a little bit more sophisticated, shall we say, or, or the production value. And I've noticed that a lot, like, I mean, just... Like, it's something, for instance, like Breaking Bad. God, I could name, like, a bunch of songs that I just discovered, or if I had heard them before, and most of them I had heard before, but just kind of had a new appreciation or a new love because of the way it is used and the way it kind of gives you a new meaning, a new association with the song because of what it's used in television. Yeah. I mean, that, but it, it kind of crosses boundaries. For That's the same for film, too. Cause, uh, yeah, for me, for me, television was, I, I think I've got the entire, I tracked down every song from Veronica Mars and <laughs> Chuck. Yeah. Those two shows had such great sound, especially that like their first year, uh, but throughout, and I discovered a lot of music through that as well. Yeah, for me, like one of the big ones actually was Scrubs. The show Scrubs had oh, yeah. a pretty great, very eclectic soundtrack. I discovered a lot of things from that. Some good kind of like indie sounds as well as like you know popular hits and everything like that. But that had a pretty deep bench because like almost every episode of that song had a popular song or something in it used somehow. Almost every episode, it's kind of crazy. So, okay, well then, getting into the songs that we are going to be talking about before before we hit our track list for them, um, was there any kind of organizing theme behind your selections or any kind of general putting your song selections into context that we should know before we hear them? Well, I, I just tried to program the show as if it were mine. Uh, so I tried for variety. I've got like different reasons for putting them on there, different kinds of utilizations inside film, uh, all different musical genres and different associations or emotional contexts for the tunes. So uh, there should be some some bubbly ones. There should be some stupid, ridiculous ones. Uh, you know, there should be some dramatic ones. But, I mean, the, the first episode already took Wise Up and anything in Magnolia we've talked about when we did the uh, film and water on Magnolia. Of course, that's the gold standard. Right. There, there is no better utilization of music than Wise Up in Magnolia. Uh, so I just went all over the map with mine. Uh, did you have an organizing principle? I kind of did for this one, more so than the first one for the first one i just kind of took like a smattering of songs that i really really like that that just or that i feel are kind of when you think of a movie soundtrack like yeah like the um don't you forget about me for breakfast club that feels kind of like a quintessential soundtrack song uh same thing with the huey lewis song like those were the when i think of the word movie soundtrack those are some of the ones that hit me because you know the, the pop like movies from the 80s or 90s or something those kind of came to me for this episode, I wanted to do a, something a little bit more specific. So, 
the five picks that I have on this episode are all songs utilized in very specific scenes in movies that I really love. Scenes that had an impact on me. That where the you can't really separate the song from the scene without losing, I think, a tremendous amount of quality uh, in some way or another. And, and kind of like almost like they, they stand out that way. Not just like a good hook from like the opening or closing credits, but a, a moment or a scene in the movie. So. But yeah, we will we will get to my pick after yours because uh, guest gets the first and last deal. So, uh, what is your first soundtrack selection for this episode? My first one is the uh, Seminole Siskoid Band pick. <laughs> so important, the band is important to me, and so finding it in a film was an important discovery as well. And it's "Hey" by the Pixies in Zach and Miri Make a Porno. Pixies are my seminal college band, I guess. Uh, I, you know, I discovered them very strangely. Uh, I picked up a, for, you know, I was just walking down the street, and this uh, this guy from one of my classes uh, stopped the, stopped his car and uh, gave me a ride for the rest of the of the way. Uh, today, this this guy is a, a sort of uh, an oddball in Acadian culture. Uh, he's a, he's a poet. His poems are very strange. Uh, he's also a filmmaker. His films are very strange. Uh, but back then, he was just a kid like me. And <laughs> and uh, he was listening to Doolittle by the, the, the Pixies, the, the the album. Yep. And uh, and telling me, like, stories from the, from the songs. I enjoyed it. I was intrigued. I lived upstairs from a used record store uh, where I usually, you know, went to, to browse a bit. Uh, found the record there, became a collector of Pixies albums, EPs, bootlegs, uh, and for a good while there, the, the Pixies were my band. And in this movie, it's perfectly timed with, uh, you know, it's a, Hey is a song of sexual tension. Mm-hmm. And um, the way it plays in the film over Miri's heart breaking as Zach gets some interest from the porn star uh, and it's going, we're chained. That's, those are the, the words. We're chained while they have their, their eyes locked. Miri's isolated. It, it's also a very rare instance of Kevin Smith being a d- good director, uh, you know, visually. So the fact that you don't hear a whole lot of pixies in movies beyond uh, Where's My Mind – uh, just hearing it in a, you know, uh, those less mainstream artists that you love in a movie, uh, you sort of feel a kinship with the director, you know? It's like every time you notice a piece of music that o- you saw only you liked, you go, oh, that director, we went to school together. We, we know each other. We, we're in, in the same scene, you know? Yeah, that's a it's a good pick. I never actually would have thought of it. I mean, because I, 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 I mean, if I think of the Pixies in relation to movies, I do think of Where Is My Mind, number one. 
Um, but the first time I actually heard them was on the soundtrack to the movie Pump Up the Volume, uh, the Christian Slater mm-hmm. movie from the late 80s, I think. And it was an alternate version of Wave of Mutilation, uh, which is one of my favorite Pixies right. songs. And I, and I actually I love both versions. Um, the, the version on the soundtrack is a very kind of slowed down, like down-tempo one. Yeah. Um, it's more you know, surfy. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's got, uh, yeah, a little bit more, a little bit trippier. Um, and I, I like them, but I like both. And I remember that song, and it was weird because I, I got into them, I think it was 1999, and a friend of mine or an associate in high school, I think it was the album, it, it was Doolittle or Surfer Rosa. I think he had both, but I can't remember which one we were playing. And I was like, okay, I kind of like these. And I, I think within a few days of that, I saw Fight Club and heard Where's My Mind and like just mm-hmm. seeing that on the, I was like, oh, okay, I really do like this song. And I gave it, so yeah, I got, I got those albums, Surfer Rosa and Doolittle, and then, uh, borrowed some others from a friend and ended up making myself like a mix CD playlist of a bunch of Pixie songs. And I was really into them for a couple of years. And yeah, this was a good song. I liked, I really liked the way it breaks down at the end with the guitars. And, uh, yeah, it, it, this was a really cool scene too. I, I definitely like you see, the uh, the sort of silent pain on Elizabeth Banks's face as she's seeing you know this guy that she she feels for and doesn't want to see and as he's being kind of pulled away and you see the reluctance on his face too and he kind of I I think he recognizes the pain that she's feeling but he still goes into the room with the the, the porn star um, it's kind of painful yeah. yeah and I like whatever movies and we're gonna see this on my list uh, a bit more and on yours as well. I like when on the, in the movie the song goes from diegetic to non-diegetic. Yes. Uh, if, if people don't know that, those terms, it's like it, the movie. The, the music is actually playing, and then there's the move. The music playing over the movie. Right. Uh, can the characters hear that music? Then, if they can, it's diegetic. In Second Miri make a porno. It's diegetic. It's the music playing at the party, and just so happens to be that music. But as the action, you know, as we we go in, go into her head, the music becomes so loud that now it is non-diegetic. That it is for the audience right. and making a point, but it's still, you know. So I like that that shift when the music's there, but it's not there, or it isn't there, and then suddenly it's there. Th- that's the kind of thing I like uh, as far as score or uh, soundtrack use in a movie. All right, my first pick for this episode is. Best of My Love by the Emotions from the movie Boogie Nights. On the Film and Water podcast, uh, we had talked about our, our favorite Paul Thomas Anderson's movies, and um, you champion Magnolia, whereas I like Boogie Nights a little bit more. I can see that I think Magnolia is a better movie in terms of, like, objectively, it's a, it's a better made movie, and I, I love the soundtrack, but for personal reasons, I like Boogie Nights more. Um, but in particular, I think Boogie Nights has 
possibly the best opening of any movie I've ever seen. Possibly the best ending, too. It's certainly a, a memorable mm. final shot. But um, the opening to Boogie Nights, we, we kind of get this slow circus music uh, just on black as it's building. And then it smashes. We see the marquee of a movie theater. Uh, and the the camera kind of sweeps up and then sweeps down and moves across the street. And we follow the, this car that we will eventually find out is Burt Reynolds' car, his character, as he drives down like a city block. And he pulls over in front of this club, the Hot Tracks, where he and his uh, girlfriend, played by Juliette Moore, are greeted by Louis Guzman. And they welcome into this nightclub as everybody's partying. There's a disco. And it's one fluid shot that follows this car across the street. And it's sort of hovering in this kind of dreamlike state. And it goes through the doors into the club as the characters kind of meet like 90% of the main or, or primary characters in this movie are introduced to us in this opening shot. Uh, and it's just incredibly well done. And it's all done to this song, Best of My Love. It, it's this great, very fun, very upbeat, very like cookie uh, disco hit that I just love. Um, but it's one of those things where like now, like if I'm making a disco or a dance playlist, I, I tend to leave this song off because I can only think of it in association with this movie now. Like I wouldn't necessarily want to put this on like a dance or a party, party playlist or something because it's so associated for me with this movie. Um, yeah, I just love it. I love the soundtrack. I got both volumes of the Boogie Nights soundtrack when it came out. Uh, I, I love the movie. It's, but yeah, just the, how clever and how sweeping and how this, song and the scene the movie the camera it literally picks you up carries you through the air into the movie and like through the doors and you're just in this world and you're sucked in by the music and the glam and these characters having the time of their lives and you're just like all right i'm in i'm in for this and then the movie will take you kind of on a a whirlwind journey with a lot of ups and a lot of tragic lows um but just in terms of just well like opening right out of the gates, just like hitting you with the song and the music. I, I love this song and, and the way it's used in the movie. So what do you think? It's a good fellas shot, you know, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. entrance. Yeah. You should use it for your personal soundtrack when you enter a room, you know, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's what's playing. Um, but it's also when we're talking about uh, diegetic and non-diegetic or moving from one to the other, this is a perfect example where we start outside the club, but the mo- it's just the movie music. Mm-hmm. And then once you enter, eventually you realize that it is the song that's playing in the discotheque. Yeah, it's almost uh, the reverse it, of how Hay was used. It starts off yeah. as non-diegetic and becomes diegetic as it goes on. And it's also very immersive. You know, it's like it's like that, that Goodfellas shot where you're entering a world, you know. Mm-hmm. And in this one, you're also entering a world. And once you enter, I, I feel like P.T. Anderson is, is super clever in using this song because it's so it's so warm and he's directed a tribute a love letter uh to a a time and an industry uh that we're entering and he's going to he's going to show his love for that industry really and uh and for that era and it so it opens up with best of my love uh, you know he's saying that to that era uh and to these characters already and i love how in that scene you've got luis guzman going you put me in a movie you know he's asking to be in a, in the movie mm-hmm. and it's like he's asking 
P.D. Anderson, and he's and that it's happening. He's in a movie. It's Boogie Nights. Uh, so it, it's a kind of a meta, you know, <laughs> moment. But we're entering, and it says Boogie Nights on the club or on yep. the uh, movie marquee. So we're really entering a world that is also the movie, and from the music that is artificially outside the layer that we're playing in the theater as we enter it becomes the actual music. So we're entering the world of the movie and the music that we were hearing is actually part of the world. So it's what eases us in to that world as that and like the one shot, the long sweeping one shot. So yeah, no, it's lovely. All right. What do you got next? My next pick is, uh, well, I felt like I needed a bond theme on the first episode. There was no bond theme and you know, bond is well, well known for, for its musical themes. Yes, it is. So uh, this is, yeah, we need a Bond theme uh, pick is, for me, Live and Let Die by Wings from... Live and Let Die You know, this was my first James Bond movie of all time. You know, the first one I ever saw. Uh, I think I saw like a little bit of another one before then, but it's my first one. And the song written for the movie uh, that serves as its opener is, I think, relatively unusual. I, you know, I don't know. It's it's one of the more marking ones. I think maybe people will talk about like Goldfinger. Uh, but for me, this was this is a tune that I can listen to anytime uh, and enjoy it. And I, I even have a, like a weird story about it because... Um, the, the the club on campus used to have these like Super Bowl uh, events, and I don't care about football, but we would usually come back from some improv tournament, which is always the same weekend, and then go directly to the bar and sit in the middle, have a bucket of beers, and watch the, the football, the commercials, and the halftime show. And uh, there was one year where Paul McCartney was one of the musical guests at the halftime show, one of the performers. And it's like he's in the middle of a thing, like a big round thing, and he's sitting at a piano. So naturally, what what other song is it going to be? Uh, so I, I scream out, live and let die, as if I'm requesting it. And then he starts, you know, it's, yeah, yeah. and then it starts. Everybody in the bar was amazed. Uh, it's like, well, you know, <laughs> I don't think that was much of a feat, personally. But everybody else was like, how? How did you know? How could you guess? Uh, what else so, can you uh, your power for? <laughs> Yeah, but I also think it's a it's a good song for the James Bond movie that it's in. Uh, it, this ever-changing world in which we live in, and we're getting a new Bond. We're getting Roger Moore for the first time. Uh, live and let die. Like, don't bother us with your complaints that he's not the same as Sean Connery. Uh, you know, it's like, just live and let die. Let's just let this movie play. It's going to be a different guy playing James Bond versus, uh, you know, voodoo. <laughs> yeah. Look. Don't bother us. You know, just learn to live and let die. And I, I, I kind of love that. I love that message right at the top of the movie. Here's the thing. I, I've heard the song forever. It's just like one of those songs that's always been in the popular consciousness as long as I can remember. I only saw this movie for the first time last two years ago, I think, 2019. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, it, it was one of the like, – there's still – there are four Bond movies I haven't seen, maybe five. 
like kind of like right in the middle. Um, but yeah, so I saw this one, and it's not my favorite. Uh, there's some things that I like about the whole idea of him <laughs> coming to America first, and then like the whole voodoo thing. I think is really interesting. I'm not sure I like how much it's executed, but I do. I love the song. I I can separate it from the movie. I love the opening, like the, in terms of like the 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 visuals of the skull and the flames and everything. In terms of like the the opening, uh, they're almost like music mini music videos for like James Bond opening sequences. The title, the title yeah. sequences I'm talking about. Um, th- this one I really really like. It's one of my favorites, um, even though, even though I don't have as many strong feelings for the the movie. I do have to concede, though, I kind of associate this song now with the Guns N' Roses cover version uh, from the Use Your Illusion <laughs> album, but also because it was used in the movie Gross Point Blank um, ah. in a, a very particular moment when John Cusack's character goes to visit his old house and finds out it has been bulldozed and turned into a, like a quick stop convenience store. And he's sort of like aghast at like this. He's like, what happened to my old home? And, and like he actually calls his psychiatrist and says, you can't go home again. Um, but the thing is, it starts with the Guns N' Roses version, and as he goes inside of the store, it switches to, like, a Muzak, elevator music type of version of the music, like, playing over the PA system of the, of the convenience store. Uh, so I just like that. And for, for some, now, whenever I hear the song, I kind of, I think of that movie more than the James Bond one. And again, because I, I only saw the James Bond movie a couple of years ago, but <laughs> sure, yeah, sure. So. And I'm not saying it's I'm not saying it's great. Uh, it, it, it has a special place in my heart. It's a bit of a um, sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, still, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The song, the song, yeah. the song is is very strong. Yeah, and I do I do like the song, and I really I like the way it's used in that opening sequence. Um, I, I think that is one of the better, more evocative Bond openings for the main titles. Yeah. All right, then my next selection is Holding Out for a Hero by Bonnie Tyler from Footloose. Live in the 80s, you should know this scene. It is <laughs> what did they describe it as a chicken race with tractors. Uh, Kevin Bacon's character is is challenged to demonstrate his manliness, his manhood. Uh, he, he is fighting. He's not even fighting for the honor of a girl. He's just fighting because he he ticked off the the school bully, a guy who looks like he's about 35 years than everybody else in high school. And they basically have to race these tractors against each other as a well they're not racing they're driving them towards each other and basically the first one to flinch and like like jump off the tractor or run away or turn around or something is is the winner as a kid i thought that this scene was epic and dangerous and fun and then you reach a point where you're like 
how silly is this that they're riding these slow-moving agricultural equipment toward each other, trying to look intimidating? This is kind of dumb. And then, later on in life, I, I kind of came around to the other way again. And I reached the age where I'm like, it's kind of a modern version of a joust, the way that's set up. Because, like, there's the woman in between that they're ostensibly fighting for. Like, she throws a, her, her hat in the air to set it off, and they're kind of racing towards each other. It's, it's a modern ag version of a joust. And it could be dangerous, because the tractors have these plows and these shovels on them that you can do serious damage on these. And I've, I've seen enough heavy farm equipment close up to be like, I don't want that thing falling on me. So, yeah, it, but it's just, yeah, as a, as a kid, like, I remember seeing Footloose at a very young age, and my brother was playing it a lot, and of all of the music numbers and all of the songs, and a very good, very memorable soundtrack, this was the one that I keyed into, just because it had kind of the closest thing to an action sequence in the movie, other than the, the actual fist fight at the end. Um, so I just, I love this moment, I like the song. Yeah. It was one of the great heroic anthems anthems in pop music. Yeah, uh, you know, just by itself. By itself, it is very listenable. Um, but the the bulldozer tractor duel, you know, for me, the song is ironic in the film. Yeah, uh, because <laughs> you know, it's really uh, these guys aren't heroes; they're listless youth. You know, uh, and it's about that. It's about that that kind of heroism where there there is no heroic outcome here or, or anything, but. You, we pump ourselves up. Right. We we think of ourselves as heroes. Where you know I'm gonna get I'm gonna protect my lady. And Kevin Bacon, in, in the story, so Kevin Bacon would chicken out if he could. He tries to jump off the seat, and his shoelace is caught on one of the like the the pedals or something yeah. like the shifter or something. So he can't move. He's he's trapped there. Otherwise, he would have jumped off the thing after like the first ten seconds. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm reminded of I'm not reminded of Quentin Tarantino so much as a friend of mine who keeps. <laughs> imitating Quentin Tarantino and saying the thing. Sometimes the music or, you know, the scene goes with the music and then sometimes it goes against the music. Uh, This is a case of against, you know, it sort of plays against, uh, but it makes you believe it. Yeah. I mean, as a kid, right? You, you thought, yeah, this is cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in reality, it is the opposite of cool, but the music makes you think it's cool. And so that irony works, but also it works as a heroic moment for, for that world. Yeah. I, I like it. And for for kids like us growing up, like reading comic books and loving superheroes mm. and stuff like that, you can transpose this song lyrically onto any one of our favorite heroes. You can make this a Superman anthem or a Green Lantern anthem or something like that, and it works. Yeah, yeah. And sort of as a biographical note, I've been under a tractor wheel. <laughs> I've, I've had a tractor roll over me, uh, and like the, the ground was soft, and it just rolled right up, and I was like a bit deeper into the earth, and I'm fine. I was fine. Like, my dad got off the tractor and went well, – I tried to climb the tractor while it was in motion and got my foot into the, the grooves of the tire and then went under. And then he just checked me over and said, you're fine. Get back to work. <laughs> oh, it happened. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm flattened out. Yeah. All right. What do you got in the next one? Okay. This is my cheesy Asian cinema pick. Uh, <laughs> you were worried about the movies that I watch. Uh, I watch a lot of Asian cinema. Uh well, we'll talk about it. This is uh, Take My Breath Away, but not the one you're thinking of. Take My Breath Away by Sandy Lam Yiklin, uh, by way of Berlin, in Wong Kar Wai's As Tears Go By.
before you explain this, I'm announcing everybody who comes on the show, you're on notice. You need a cheesy Asian cinema pick, too. <laughs> Well, there's plenty uh, because uh, I, I got yes, this one is kind of weird, it, but it's a good example of the kind of weird soundscapes you get from Asian cinema or really any foreign country's directors. They're not going to have the same sensibilities or cultural touchstones. They, that's not the same thing playing on the radio in other countries. And that, that includes mine, you know, uh, and Wong Kar Wai is a very arty. Chinese director, it's very art house, and I love all his stuff. And in terms of music, uh, he's like a lot of other Chinese directors. The song choices can be, yes, a little cheesy like this one, uh, but, but he's also used like Laurie Anderson. So I think he knows what he's doing. Uh, As Tears Goes By is uh, an early film uh, from his, of his, and it, from it's starring, uh, well, ba- baby versions of Maggie Cheung and uh, even babier Andy Lau, who would grow up to become two of China's best actors. And Take My Breath Away is their theme, basically, in the movie. It plays extendedly twice in the film, and, and it's a Chinese version. You've got the chorus that's still in English, uh, but then, you know, the, the Chinese uh, in between. Andy, uh, Andy Lau puts a coin in the machine, and we're off on a montage of lovers uh, finding each other in a public I mean, really in public transit and then have sex and we, all of that. Uh, and Berlin's original was, you know, made popular by its inclusion in Top Gun, right? Yeah. So if you compare their use, and I did, Top Gun doesn't hold a candle to as tears go by. So <laughs> Poptoon starts, dialogue over it. Uh, they don't like each other. They sort of fight. They take off in a motorcycle. There's a car chase. And then eventually there's a sex scene and then the, the words start start on top of it. But nothing about about the opening of this tells me that one of the characters is taking the other's breath away, you know? Whereas in As Tears Go By, that's very much there from the start. There, It is that moment of falling in love at first sight. I mean, it, it's, it's still a cheesy romance element. It's completely ridiculous. But um, once we saw the film uh, here, when I used to have like this Kung Fu Fridays, and this is not a Kung Fu film, but, you know, it was basically Asian cinema Fridays. Yeah, yeah. We did that for like five years, so I watched a lot of movies during that time, and that was one of the ones that we kept singing it. We we, <laughs> we kept coming back to it. We kept referencing it. So, in other words, for the group, it was very memorable because it is kind of off kilter, and you're not expecting it, and it's slightly ridiculous. So, uh, I, I still love it. Though I, this is not a song that I would listen to in my everyday life, <laughs> you know, just like because I I like it. It's still cheesy '80s kind of stuff. I, I like. I, I haven't seen the movie. I wasn't familiar with this version uh, until you mentioned it. But I, I did watch the the video that you showed me, and I, I like it. I was kind of like caught up in it, and I actually just found myself just. And part of it is just like you, you know when you're not familiar with the language, but knowing the melody and everything, like then the words that you're hearing just become sort of like another instrument. Uh, some, something I've kind of mentioned before. Um, when I do like listen to you know foreign language songs and everything or, or operas and everything, and I, I really like that when the voice or the vocal just becomes a kind of melody in and of itself. Um, so I was actually just kind of drawn to like just watching the images of like this this story of these lovers kind of playing out within just like the the couple minute clip that you sent me, uh, and I really liked it. And then coming back to the take my breath away, the chorus in in English was kind of funny. So I like that. Yeah, good one. Uh, and actually, it this pick partially inspired me for this episode to kind of look at other other uh, foreign language uh, songs, and I'll I'll come back to that towards the end of this one. Um, for this one, uh, is in English, uh, although it is uh, more of a Spanish style song to an extent. Um, and my pick is After Dark 
by Tito and Tarantula from the movie From Dusk Till Dawn. Watching her strolling in the night So white, wondering why It's only after dark I was a huge Quentin Tarantino fan at the time in the mid-90s, and I knew he was coming out with this movie, and I knew the deal. Like, he, like he was writing this one, and uh, Robert Rodriguez was directing it, so I went out and I saw Desperado. Um, and I thought that was really cool, and I thought, uh, wow, Salma Hayek, this chick in this movie is really, really good-looking, like, ungodly good-looking. Um, and I heard that she was in this movie, and my brother gave me the warning. I was like, she plays an exotic dancer, and wow, you got to see her. So I was excited to see this movie, and I knew the twist at the end that, you know, it starts off as just like this sort of like a Tarantino-esque crime drama, and snap your fingers, all of a sudden, wait, everybody's being killed by vampires. But when it comes to this point in the movie, it's a thing where they're at this horribly cheesy, like, south-of-the-border bar and everything with strippers and, and dancers and everything on tables. But everything just stops. The lights go a little bit darker, and you see something on stage, and everybody just stops and looks. And Salma Hayek appears. She does this little sort of fanning motion with uh, with a cape and then drops it and she's got this giant python <laughs> draped around her and she is wearing very little clothing you see how amazing her body is and she just starts to move and gyrate as this band and it's a, it's a sort of diegetic thing because the band is in the bar with them playing and you get the spanish guitar like acoustic playing up and this very sort of hypnotic trance like beat kind of moving in as she's dancing and it is so ensorceling or something like that she she puts you on the spell and i love them i i rewatched it and again i love what rodriguez does is he shows you wide shots of the crowd watching her and like audience reactions and they're just staring there's like nobody who is not just fixated on what they see as she's moving across the stage and then onto the tables and walking towards Quentin It's funny that he wrote the scene for himself to be the one mm-hmm. who gets fed whiskey via, via Sama Hayek's toes. Um, it's this incredible thing, and the way the music, when it comes in with electric guitars start rocking, and she's just shaking her hair, and there's pyrotechnics, there's fire going off that you don't understand where the fire is coming from. Uh, it's just such a hypnotic moment that just leads you into this thing, and and it's such a powerful seduction of a character and a scene and a moment and the way the music and the the visual language is used that you are completely drawn into this thing, like you're sucked into an abyss, which makes what happens like a half a like a half a minute later as like the, the everything just gets very bloody very fast it's so shocking um so it's such a, a captivating moment but yeah i i love this song because of how this song, i i would love the song anyway even if it wasn't it's just a, it's a fun cool song but its use with this particular scene is amazing 
Yeah, and it's just before the vampire return, which right. I did not know about. I mean, oh. when I saw this in theaters, not I, I don't think I even saw a trailer for this uh, when we went to see. It was just on the strength of Quentin Tarantino and having recently seen a Pulp Fiction. It's basically it. Basically it. And we have, and we're thinking. I'm, I don't even realize it's a different director. Basically, at the <laughs> yeah. beginning of this, uh, I would eventually become a huge. Robert Rodriguez fan, uh, all of that stuff, the, the mariachi stuff and all of his early films. And even this song, um, you've got Tito and he's, he's like backed up by this Portuguese power band, Tarantula. Tarantula uh, and it deceptively really sounds like Robert Rodriguez would have written it because he does a lot of his own scores yes, in his films. Does. And they've got that sound. And, you know, on, on my list, I almost put some. <laughs> some some tracks from Desperado or even Once Upon a Time in Mexico that mm-hmm. was just that Spanish guitar, just that mariachi sound. Oh, the song uh, that the song that he uses to end, I think it's Kill Bill Volume Two, uh, is really really good song, and it's it's his written, and I think Robert Rodriguez is singing that song too. Uh, yeah. And I love that one, yeah. Yeah, he's a one-trick pony. I mean, not a one-trick <laughs> pony, the opposite. I mean, he's, he's a jack-of-all-trades. He's doing it all, you know. Um, so so I'm, I'm kind of surprised at this point. I'm listening to it, and I'm going, it really sounds like Robert Rodriguez, except it isn't. And, and so it's perfect for one of his films. And you can see where he, why he gravitated towards that artist and actually put them on stage. Uh, yeah, the song is – it's, it's sex. well, the song and the scene are sexy – Sounds like, you know, like the 1960s Vietnam kind of songs, you know, that kind of thing. And she's doing it. You know, it's not a lascivious dance. It's not it's sexy, but it's not dirty. It's more like a go-go dance. It really feels like when you see like go-go dancers in the 60s, those kinds of movements, except a little more fluid, a little more. A slow, Almost a little more like, like a, a snake, like it, a belly dancer type of thing. You, you yeah, yeah. It because yeah, I mean, she's not stripping; she's already in barely dressed. But like, she's mm-hmm. not taking anything. She's not dancing like with a pole. It's all just this movement of hips and arms and everything. It's just like kind of gyrating this like flow. But yeah, you're right. It's yeah, it's it's a snake snake charming. See, you know, a snake yeah, charming yeah. dance. Uh, and so you got the snake, but she's she's also a snake, and we don't know it yet. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's a ama- it's an amazing sequence. Yeah. All right, where do we go from here? My nerd pick. Uh, <laughs> I mean, after all, this is the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I know our brand, uh, and I wanted to cater to that. Uh, so it's "Bring Me to Life" by Evanescence from Daredevil. Sorry, people. I will always like the Daredevil movie, both versions, both cuts. And it's it's part and parcel because of the two Evanescence songs. The rest of the soundtrack is kind of too heavy for me. It's like Evanescence is the the, the Daredevil Electra soundtrack because they have a, a male and a female voice in there. And everything else was programmed by Bullseye. And I just don't like it. <laughs> yeah. 
So my immortal uh, well supports the, that funeral scene, but it's bring me to life. I think that underscores the the resurrection of Electra into a vengeful assassin. And Evanescence is, is like has a Christian music undercurrent uh, that fits Daredevil in his world of, of Catholic guilt. Uh, two people who know each other better than they think. They're both dead inside, so it's Daredevil that brought alive by this relationship, and it's snatched away, and you know, and, and she's living something similar because of the death of her father, uh, and uh, you know, it hits me right there in when you know, save me from the dark, and and she needs saving from her own darkness or own dark side and he's in the dark completely all, all the time because uh he's blind so I, I think like that song is so perfectly matched to these characters and and it's i mean the music it just gets you pumped it's something that you want to hear when you're watching that movie i'm just waiting for those moments <laughs> when evanescence sparks up uh and i know it's not a popular choice i, I don't mean the song but i mean the movie, uh, but I've always liked it, and and a great deal of that is waiting for that moment. You know those those evanescence moments that I think strike so true. I didn't see this movie in the theater, and I don't know why I didn't. I can't remember like what because I mean I, I I loved superhero and I just for some reason I remember not seeing this one in the theater and and when I finally did I remember thinking that it was better than its reputation. Um, I, I liked I didn't love it, but I thought it was pretty good, and I ended up. I got like the first Blu-ray movies I got um, because they were they were cheap and I wanted to test them out. Was I got Daredevil and Rio Bravo were the first two Blu-rays that I got. Okay. Um, and my dog Lily, when she was a puppy, when we first got her, within the first month she destroyed Daredevil. So I guess she preferred the westerns. Um, but uh, yeah, it was weird. She just destroyed the case and like scratched up the movie. But anyway, um, yeah. I so I hadn't seen the movie, but I remember these two songs being huge. Um, and I really, really liked them in part was just because of kind of, I hadn't heard anything like this band and like the, the particular sound that they captured with this sort of like heavy kind of Linkin Park style, like just like hard rock and everything, but like less sort of angry and more kind of like almost emo goth, but like with this hard edge and heavy, heavy distortion guitars, but really sort of cut by this woman's very beautiful very strong voice uh and and the type of pitch that she had it and like this kind of crazy duet that you wouldn't associate like her voice with the sound and somehow it just really really played well together so yeah i've always just thought like this is a group that i respect more than anything because i have never heard any other band that sounds like them before or since uh in terms of the the vocals and, and their their the dynamic between the two singers and how it informs the music. So yeah, I, I definitely I like it for that. Yeah, I would. Uh, this is yeah, this is a worthy pick for that reason. Yeah, I rest my case. <laughs> <laughs> well done, counselor. Uh, okay, then moving on to my next one, the song "Red Red Wine" by UB40 from the Martin Scorsese movie "Bringing Out the Dead."
this movie when I first saw it. It was one of my favorite Scorsese movies. I am not sure if that holds up because I haven't seen it in a long time. Uh, I remember, I think I had a minority opinion in how much I liked it, and I think everybody else was kind of like, eh, it's all right. I, and maybe that's wrong. I don't know if, if it's well-regarded or if it's hated or if it's beloved. I, I have no idea. And I don't know how much of my fondness for the movie really stems from one real powerful scene. Um, and it's, for me at least, it's uh, Nick Cage who plays a paramedic in New York. Uh, he is called to emergency in a high-rise apartment building. It's actually a drug den for this uh, this dealer that Nick Cage had visited earlier in the movie on kind of like a personal uh, errand. And he's going up through the elevator and he walks down the floor and there's a woman that he recognizes who has been shot to death lying in the doorway. And he walks in and the whole look of the room, everything is in these very dark red colors the the wall the carpeting it's there like it's this like wine colored merlot or maroon colors and everything like that uh there's a broken fish tank it was fish on the floor and everything like that and he goes down to like another floor another room and we see that the dealer that he was he was targeted by others and he tried to escape by jumping out his window to a balcony on the floor below but he overjumped and he actually impales himself on the like sort of raw iron fence on the edge of this balcony but he's he's alive but he's just sort of like suspended half over the 15th floor like dangling down over the new york city street and half on so nick cage has to try and like keep him alive keep you know his, his heart pumping and blood flowing while while they basically the fire department cuts him off of this fence and holds him and as he as nick cage is wandering through this thing in kind of this, this fugue state because he hasn't been sleeping you just hear UB40's red, red wine playing kind of hypnotically in the background, and I just love it. It's such a weird song to hear in this moment, but it fits because of the color of the room and and how, like, his sort of trippy sense that, you know, like, like how much is, is he a reliable narrator because of his hallucinations, because of his sleeplessness. Yeah, I just thought it was just a haunting Scorsese type of scene that just felt like very unique, but I, I love it, yeah. So I always remember the song for that. Yeah, and this one doesn't go diegetic at any uh, or non-diegetic at any yeah, point. Yeah. It's just in the background and, you know, when they go down to the other apartment downstairs or the balcony and you're still hearing it, it's like nobody's turned it off. <laughs> right, uh, right. And it's just, it's just playing and it's accidentally because that that's the feeling that you get that it's accidental that it relates to the situation to, or to his state of mind because you know he's in the movie is about forgetting and oblivion and uh you know it's a bit of the theme uh, it's a sultry hot night and uh you know and the blood i mean the wine and the blood and the it's right. you know it's all related and it's it's also in contrast because it's like happy reggae <laughs> yeah, contrast exactly, yeah. to what we see so uh, I, I do admit i've never seen this one i watched that scene for in preparation but i have never seen the movie so um it'll have to go on one of my on my, on my list and i've well, seen a lot of things but i haven't seen everything let me know again because I, I probably haven't seen it in 15 years or something and i loved it when i saw it but it was well god oh god no it's like 20 years <laughs> i don't know if i've seen it since it came out yeah i think it's the only movie on both our lists that i haven't seen all right what's next Next up is my French art house crazy reinterpretation pick. Another, another <laughs> topic that every guest who comes on the show needs to bring, so get ready, people. It's Let My Baby Ride, here by Dennis Levant, uh, by way of the great R.L. Burnside, from the movie Holy Motors. 
Okay, so what Holy Motors is about, you haven't seen this, have you? I haven't, no. Uh, it's <laughs> it's um, it's a strange one where this character played by Denis Lavant is an actor and um, he goes from gig to gig acting out parts throughout one single day. And the way that works, the way it's possible is that he's not playing necessarily in any kind of movie. He's playing parts in people's lives. So in one moment, he might walk into your house and, and you know, break up with the girlfriend instead of whoever <laughs> should have been there. Uh, it, there's a mocap moment. There's a, there's, he puts on makeup in between them. And there's, there's another great bit of music uh, in there that I haven't singled out. But uh, they play the Godzilla theme as he's rampaging through town as a, just like a crazed <laughs> madman uh sort of shades of john waters multiple maniacs if you know if if we're going to discuss art house i'll go full art, art house <laughs> uh, but uh, in terms of songs uh, rather than repurposed soundtrack uh, uh, or score it's this the, a wonderful interlude later when uh, daniel levant starts playing rl burnside's let my baby ride on the accordion and then there's an accordion orchestra that comes out of the side streets and follows him through the night. Uh, and it's, it's very, very French accordion. It's very French music once you pop out the, the uh, accordion. And there's also a very French stop where he goes, trois, douze, merde, and then they start over. Uh, and that's 312 shit, you know, a lot yeah, of yeah. gusto. Uh, and it's surprising. You're watching this film, which is already very surprising, and then there's this extra surprise, and it's a great bit of music and using different instruments from what you're supposed to be hearing uh, from the, you know, what the original artist's intention was. But uh, but there it is. So th- this is a great little interlude that I... It's, it's not easy to watch Holy Motors all the way through uh, several times, let's say. It's not a movie I want to go, go back to often. Uh, you, I just want to listen to those musical interludes. Mm. And thankfully, YouTube provides. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I, I recommend checking out this one. Uh, I, I had not heard of this movie. I did know the R.L. Burnside version of this song, and I can't think of... How, like. I want to say I heard it in a movie, but I can't think of like where it might have been. But maybe not, because I always thought when I heard the song that I could imagine it in a movie of something like like a, a prize fighter getting warmed up for a fight. Um, it actually kind of reminded me of something like like a Guy Ritchie type of thing, like something that he would mm. use, like in Snatch or something. Like I, I kind of picture like Brad Pitt's One Punch Mickey, like getting ready for like a fight or something, and like walking through yeah, the yeah. crowd, walking up to the ring with this music kind of playing in the background. So when I actually watched the video that you provided and heard a version of the song as they're kind of walking through the street and get it, like kind of it it has like a momentous like get get ready, get ready, like we're moving, we're have like this important destination. I'm like, this is kind. Kind of how I always imagined this song being used, not with accordions, mind you. But no. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, "Wow!" I was like, "This is visually, thematically, this is kind of how I heard the original song being used in a movie." This is really, really cool. It's a very, it's a driving track. Yeah. And uh, earlier uh, tonight, I was uh, preparing for this, and so I replayed all the songs, and I also played like the original um, version. And uh, you know, my my roommate is in the other room, going, "Pump it up," <laughs> you know, because. <laughs> It, it like worked its magic in the apartment as well, and I was like, you know, shaking the cat and trying to to, to go to sleep later, <laughs> just like side <laughs> the cat, uh, and it was like holding it like a baby, and you never shake a baby, but shake a cat, sure. So I was shaking <laughs> the cat to the to the song, and uh, and it's just something that you know you you want to do some chores, you know, put that track on either version, <laughs> and you know it'll get you moving. 
It does. It does. It's very good. Very good at like getting you off your, getting you on your feet, getting you off the off the chair, off the couch. Yeah. All right. Come to my final selection for the episode, La Mer by Julio Iglesias from Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. La Mer, This one, we kind of crowdsourced the two of us to figure out which version I was going to use, because... Um, my first exposure to this song, a version of this song, uh, was sung by Kevin Klein from the movie French Kiss, um, the Lawrence Kasdan movie with Meg Ryan. Um, and I, I thought the song was really, really pretty, but I didn't know that it was an established French-language song. I thought it was just a translation of Beyond the Sea, which I Boop. always thought was a, a really cool song by... Um, who did the most famous? Bobby Darren. Bobby Darren. Thank you. I was like, I know Kevin Spacey yeah. played him in a movie, but I can't think of who the, what the guy Bobby was. Bobby Um Yeah, I always liked that song. So when I heard it, I recognized that. I was like, oh, it's like a French version of Beyond the Sea. This is kind of cool. I like this and everything. And I thought it was like a a one off done for that movie. I thought just like, it was like a Kevin Klein, not original, but like his his signature thing. Uh, and I always liked that. I had that. I had that song on uh, like different playlists that I used. And then when I watched Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, I'm like, oh, this is the same. I was like, this is an old version of Julio Iglesias did this, like a live concert or something. I thought it was incredible, Uh, and I really dig the version because it's faster and it's kind of like peppy. It's got like a whole big band going with them, Um, and like you hear like the the like the crowd, like the live audience at the beginning and end getting into it. Really, really cool. And the thing, one of the reasons why uh, we kind of like discussed it, and I picked this one. I think this is the better, more fun version of the song. But it's also just, like, I, I think it's better used in the movie, Tinker Tailor Soldier, which I like that movie, but it is such a quiet, meticulously slow-paced movie. Uh, it really demands your attention. Otherwise, you just get up and do anything and come back and, like, not sure. But, like, like for having such a great cast of captivating actors, I mean, it's got Gary Oldman, Colin Firth, Mark Strong... Toby Cumberbatch. Jones, Benedict yeah. Cumberbatch, Cumberbatch, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, uh, Tom Hardy, uh, Kieran Hines, just amazing cast. But they all just give these very quiet, just talky performances and everything like that. And there's like, like hardly any action or any kind of thing that kind of like brings you out of it until the very end, after the big mystery has been at least solved and kind of resolved. It smashes into this montage with this kind of upbeat, high-tempo song kind of carrying you through this montage of the final fates of some of the characters, and it plays like with this kind of flashback sequence of this office Christmas party that sort of revealed the last moment between these two characters before this horrible betrayal, and it was also the moment that sort of informed Gary Oldman's feelings about this character that he should have suspected all along, but he didn't, he, he kind of had these blinders on. Uh, so it's just this really important moment, and I just thought like it was just a very kind of like, like I got to this point in the movie, and I was like, I want to rewatch this entire movie, like having just watched it, I want to watch the whole thing again, 
to like watch for the, all these like clues and everything like that and just sit through this very slow, very quiet thinking mystery just to pay off with this very kind of high, like bright moment and sunny like song at the end. That's really fun. I was like, I love this moment at the end. So yeah, I, I like the song and I'm glad you talked me into using this one over the Kevin Klein one because I like the song as it's used in the movie so much better. I was beating myself up that I hadn't thought of it before, you know, that it wasn't on my original list, uh, but there were so many. And uh, and that one, I don't know, escaped my, my mind. I mean, it's weird because it's a uh, it's an inside joke uh, between me and Ohad Mournat's shotgun. We used to be roommates, and uh, she made no secret of her lustful affection for Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> so while she was living here, she did a complete Cumberbatch watch. And this was, obviously, her Cumberbatch of movies, as she called it. This was on it, of course. And I had a copy of it. So we watched it. And after the last sequence, where Iglesias' version of the song comes on, we started playing it on a loop really, really loud all the time. She would come home from work, and I'd start it while she was in the stairs. You know, (laughs) She'd walk in. That was it. To this day, we will send each other the YouTube link randomly. Uh, you know, but back then it was like a signal from room to room. Uh, we just started in which, whatever room we were in. We'd start the, the song. Now we're doing it from house to house. It's the, the decoded spy message uh, that really says nothing more than remember when we heard the song and really liked it. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, and it's a bit of crazy. Like the recording itself is crazy because when if you listen to it uh, on the from the live album that it's on, Julio first talks about how it just it just came out. That he thinks he thinks it's going to be a hit, <laughs> and that he's singing it from the music sheet. He's got the music sheet in front of him, and he's screwing up some of the pronunciations along the way. It's really amazing. <laughs> so I, I I love it for its energy, and it's really like the last song he plays because after that he's like telling us who the band members are. You know the, yeah, the kind yeah. of well, kind yeah, of thing you like do at the end. Long yeah. outro where he's just talking to the crowd, like I'm like yeah, cut that from the album or something. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's great in Tinker Tinker uh, Taylor Soldier Spy. I mean it. You probably haven't seen French Kiss in a while. Maybe you listen to the soundtrack but not seen the film. Because the way it, it actually uh, plays, it's, you wait for the whole movie for it to, to, to be on. And it's in the end credits. It's one of the pieces in the end credits. Right. You, you see no images, but it's a banter between Meg Ryan and Kevin Klein's characters. He, she actually says, oh, play that song, you know, sing that song, you know, the Beyond the Sea one. And he, he tells her it's not uh, somewhere beyond the sea. It's... It's La Mer. It's Charles Trenet. No, no, it's Bobby Darren. You know, they have that fight. <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Well, they, ha- they haven't included that little dialogue on the uh, album, I don't think. So on the soundtrack album. So that's too bad because I think it's a perfect lead in for, for that. And it really is not beyond the sea. I mean, this is something It was a huge hit for Charles Trenet, of course. And uh, but recording artists in Europe. Did this a lot, you know, singing and performing in other languages. ABBA did it. Uh, Nana Muscuri did it. Julio Iglesias does it here. And a lot of songs were translated for either for those artists or, you know, by American artists later or even the, the opposite. Uh, there's, a, you know, the French artists would rewrite songs, American, American songs in French. And sometimes the songs don't say the same thing. And in this case, it is not beyond the sea. Somebody's waiting for you. That kind of romantic uh, song. In French, in French, La Mer is, is a painting. It's just describing the seaside. That's huh. all it is. None of the words include people. 
you know, you've got seagulls, you've got uh, houses uh, that are uh, like that. The, the, their roofs are uh, rusting. It's a painting in song form. So it is not the same song at all. It just goes about the same way, and it also has the C in both. But uh, I agree with Kevin Klein's character. It's not the same. It's not the same. <laughs> and that much I knew. I knew it wasn't just a direct uh, – well, eventually I figured out that it wasn't just a direct uh, French-language translation of Beyond the Sea, but I didn't know the actual the, – the specifics of why it wasn't or what was different about it. So that's cool. That's cool. That's why you need a francophone on the show. <laughs> I do. I do. Uh, okay. Bring us home. What is our final soundtrack selection for this episode? This is my musical discovery pick. Uh, and uh, it's Peaches by the Stranglers in the movie Sexy Beast. That you got some suntan lotion in that bottle of yours Spread it all over my peeling skin, baby That feels real good All the skirts Lapping up the sun Lap me up Why don't you come on and lap me up Walking on the beaches Looking at the beaches so when I talk about musical musical discovery, sometimes you discover an artist because of their inclusion on a soundtrack, and then you go back and look at their entire catalog and find plenty of songs that you loved, and you're going, where, where was this band all my life? Uh, well, you know, probably not in phase with where I live or the time I was listening to music. But uh, that's the case for The Stranglers. Peaches is the opening to Sexy Beast. Uh, it captures once the, the Cockney gangster scene of the movie, but also the hot Spanish climate where it's set uh, is a perfect perfect representation of the characters on the one hand and the setting on the other. Uh, and the Stranglers are like punk via the doors or something. That's how we would describe it. Yeah. There's a great bass line uh, and there's there's groovy keyboard notes and and then like that punk voice, you know, uh, being anti-authorian. Uh, so the way it's cut into the film there's a break in it. They, they put a break in it as a giant boulder crashes into the pool. Then it starts up again. Uh, the Stranglers have just gotten a lot of strong hits. You know, Golden Brown on the Snatch soundtrack uh-huh. is one. Uh-huh. Uh, no More Heroes, Walk On By. Anyway, the point is that for me, it started with Peaches and uh, such a good song placement. And just that can make you discover not just a song, but you know an entire, uh, an entire band and their entire catalog. So I give it up to Peaches for that. Yeah, I think I knew. I think I heard them first from the uh, from the Snatch soundtrack, the, the Golden Brown song, and I do remember seeing this movie. I, yeah, I, I I liked the song. I liked it. It was kind of groovy. I liked it. I, yeah, I remember when this movie was coming out, knowing that uh, Jonathan Glazer from a couple of music videos. It was like him and David Fincher were the two people that I kind of knew about as music video directors, just as they, on the cusp of them becoming movie directors, too. Because uh, Jonathan Glazer did a couple of Radiohead music videos, and he did the Virtual Insanity by Jamiroquai, and something else that I really liked. Iconic videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, um, I can't 
can't think of what else, but uh, yeah, at least two Radiohead. Oh, uh, oh, he did a, a Nick Cave and the Bad Seed song. He did Into My Arms. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I knew that. So I was kind of excited, like when I saw this one, and then uh, uh, Under the Skin with uh, Scarlett Johansson. But yeah, I do remember, and I kind of like as soon as like I saw this uh, when I when this popped up, I was like, oh yeah, that opening scene with the boulder rolling down to the pool and everything. So cool. Yeah, it is an instance of me watching a film, then going back and listening to that scene. And then going back and listening to that scene and back to that scene, just to hear that, you know, back in the day, maybe I wasn't, you know, uh, on YouTube so much. So it's probably you had to, you had your movie, you put, you know, you, you knew where it was and you listened to that one song and then got back just like it was like a record uh, with a lot of noise that you didn't want to listen back to, but just that one song and you found the track. Uh, and I do, I did that for Magnolia, you know, at times. And uh, I, I certainly did that for this opening. It's really easy to get back to the opening. Yeah. All right. Well, um, yeah, that's that's going to wrap up Soundtrack Selections Volume 2. So, Cisco, thank you very much for like really just like, grabbing me and saying, hey, I need to be on the next one. <laughs> very, very <laughs> abruptly. Because I'm like, sure, I'd love it. I'd love it. Love it. So, um, yeah, thank you for being on the show. This was great. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure. And, uh, you know, I could have done three more. <laughs> just, just with my short list. So, we got to spread the love. Give a few other people some chances oh, yeah. before before we have anybody make return appearances. Um, uh, where else can people find you on the podcastosphere, or if they want to hear more from you? I'm right here on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I, you, you mentioned a lot of the shows at the top of the hour there, and um, they're the same ones. I haven't started a new one during the show, uh, but it, it's been known to happen. So, <laughs> I was going to say, watch out. <laughs> All right, thank you very much again. Fire and Water Records is a proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com as well as Facebook and Twitter. Special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on how you can support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. If you like this show but don't wish to support us through Patreon, please go to iTunes and leave us a nice five-star review for Fire & Water Records. Every review helps iTunes push this podcast to a wider and wider audience. All music clips and quoted lyrics are used for entertainment purposes, and no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening. Et